This is the Untamed Ethos Podcast. Join us as investment pros, executives, and other experts talk business, personal growth, investing, politics, and the trending topics well-rounded pros need to know about. Authentic, unfiltered, and fun. Joshua Wilson is the founder of United Ethos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of United Ethos's investment advice on this podcast, and nothing you'll hear on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. All opinions expressed by Joshua and by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of United Ethos or its affiliates. Welcome back to another episode of Untamed Ethos. I'm Dr. Joshua Wilson, and today we dive deep, exposing the layers of misinformation and unmasking some of the most pressing financial and educational illusions that threaten our traditional American values and personal liberty. Before we get started, I want to thank each and every one of you for your ongoing support. Friends, every financial decision you make has the power to shape the world according to your values. In this dark world of towering financial institutions and overreaching government, I'm here to try to be your beacon. So remember, every like, comment, share, and subscription fuels this mission to take control back that has been stolen from us. So if you believe in what we're doing, help this message get out by sharing this episode, dropping a comment, and of course, ensuring that you're subscribed. So what's on the agenda for today's episode? First off, our country's largest and most influential bank, the bank of Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, excuse me, J.P. Morgan, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, a man who definitely didn't kill himself, uh, but of course, a devout uh, client of J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan was ordered to pay a seven or agreed to a $75 million settlement in the in a sex trafficking suit. This time, just a few months after CEO Jamie Dimon uh, made shocking remarks on property confiscation. In other words, taking your property to uh, fuel a woke agenda. With the dark clouds of Epstein's settlement still lingering and Diamond supporting the government taking your property by force in the name of climate change, it begs the question, is it time to rethink where we place our trust in our money? Next, in a twist into academia that may have far-reaching consequences, the case of Dr. Eric Stewart, the Florida State professor whose egregious academic scams include fake data. These scams threaten the very foundation of woke ideologies and the government policies that are based on these studies. Then we'll tackling an eye-opening uh, case from Boston University and their probe into Ibram Kendi's center. Um, and if you're not familiar with Ibram Kendi, he's the anti-racist guy. Uh, how to be an anti-racist and that and that stuff. Uh, but anyway, this draws a line between seemingly isolated events and a larger picture of this agenda-driven misinformation. But first, let's decode the financial indicators and uncover the truth about our, our economy's health. Are we really on the brink of recession? Let's talk about it. Well, first, I think the first thing that comes to mind is bank lending. Uh, bank lend, lend, banks lending to businesses has slowed dramatically. When giants like JP Morgan tighten their belts, it's not just an isolated decision. In my opinion, it's a cautionary tale. Businesses are struggling to get financed. 
And when they can't get money to fuel their operations, to fuel investment, to fuel uh, you know, their, uh, their payrolls, things like that, we've got to start wondering, are we already in the thick of a recession now? It tend, these, tend, these, these bank tightening tend to foretell a, a recession rather than lag it. So um, these bank tightenings tend to, to, to be ahead of, of recessions. And the history shows when lending shrinks this, that, this drastically, recessions tend to not be too far behind. Now, what about the Fed? Well, their rate adjustments have, as you know, been a tricky dance between, on the one hand, trying to curb inflation by slowing the economy down that's presumably overheated and not tipping the economy into chaos. It's a, it's a delicate balance because if they, if they tighten too much, um, then they hurt the economy. They kill the economy. But if they don't tighten, then the then the the belief is that we continue to have uh, ever ever raising inflation, and hopefully get, and avoid a hyperinflation environment. So they've been ramping up rates, as you know, attempting to cool down the overheated economy. But GDP has been painting a rosy picture since 2022, since last year, and that and that. Gross domestic product looking good suggests that economic prosperity has been has been blooming since last year. Now, this suggestion of prosperity may be about to change, or maybe it was wrong all along. Many expect the Bureau of Economic Analysis to flip the script in just a couple of days, September 28th, 2023, when they meet again. Now, how could they do that? Well, let's back up a second. There's two measures that essentially measure the same economic activity, but they do it differently. GDP, which is the most well-known measure, that measures the economic spending from the spending side. It measures economics from the spending side. GDI, or gross, gross domestic income, measures from the income generated side. In other words, profits, wages, other income. So it's different ways of trying to get to the same number, but it's not all the same data and other things that feed into both of these figures. So GDP suggests the economy has been expanding, good thing, since last year, but gross domestic income tells a different story. It tells a contraction story. Now, these two should move together because, like I said, they really should be different ways of measuring the same thing. But currently, there is a large and growing divergence. In other words, they're saying different things. Some analysts have reported that the gap between GDP and GDI is the largest it's been in the last 20 years. Now, that's alarming. The Bureau of Economic Analysis, if they flip this rosy, they, they would flip this rosy script by uh, revising the old GDP numbers to look more like the discouraging GDI numbers. That revision matters because that revision would tell the Fed that the, that the economy probably can't take any more hikes to slow down inflation. Now, these rate hikes or something else presumably have been working. Um, inflation has still been higher than, we, than, than, than they want to see but it's not quite as bad as it was. So um, it's less bad, if that makes sense. So, you know, when we think about this, if the Fed can't continue to raise rates, then they're running out of steam on how they're going to slow down inflation. 
So they're saying, hey, these numbers that, that, that encouraged us that we could raise rates, we're not so encouraged by those numbers anymore. Those numbers weren't what we thought they were. So now when we start thinking about this, that the number, the rosy numbers weren't quite as rosy as we thought, then we start factoring in potential government shutdown. That always has an effect on the economy. Car price spikes. Now those have pulled back a little bit very recently, but overall they've been quite up quite a bit. Uh, we've seen new numbers coming in on food, especially frozen food, vegetables, frozen beef. These things like that come going up. Obviously, rent prices, uh, energy prices. We take into, into account auto worker strike and various other pretty alarming economic indicators such as a steepening yield curve, um, rising full year defaults on loans, uh, increasing credit card delinquencies, a rise in the un unemployment rate, and Americans generally having less cash reserves than they had coming out of COVID. The landscape is, to say the least, pretty concerning. Oh, and there'll also be less money in the pockets of tens of millions of Americans starting next week when uh, in, in August, in, oh, sorry, October, when the student loan payments are scheduled to resume. Now, the Fed paused rate hikes this month, um, and they have one more chance to raise this year, uh, or a couple chances, uh, yeah, to this year. Inflation remains a gnawing concern, even as this the Fed is hesitating to further rate hikes. So, you know, we've had several rate rate hikes, you know, in the last couple of years. Um, in that you know, five and a half percent range now, five and a quarter to five and a half. And so we're standing at this pivot point where it looks like we can't really continue to move up. And if the economy um, doesn't uh, falters here, if, if those revised numbers are as bad as they look, we could be looking at a rate cut, you know, early next year. Uh, there's still a chance of a of a small hike this year, maybe a quarter point or something like that. But I think most analysts are thinking that's not going to be able to happen. Now, uh, let's shift gears away from this now, um, uh, from, uh, from 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 economics. Of course, uh, if you're worried about your investments, if you're worried about what to do, you know, give me a, give me a call at, uh, at www.unitedethos.com. We're happy to help have that conversation with you. Um, but let's talk about J.P. Morgan. Um, or J.P. Epstein, if you will, J.P. Morgan's settlement related to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, as we continue uh, my continual scrutiny of big banks and a dark cloud is hovering over J.P. Morgan Chase, I'd argue this cloud's been there for quite some time, but somehow it never stays in the media very long. But they are, of course, connected to the notorious Jeffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself. Uh, let's uncover those uh, those those ties. Now, J.P. Morgan Chase, whose CEO is Jamie Dimon, one of the world's leading financial institutions, they've entered into the spotlight due to their ties with that late financier, Jeffrey Epstein, who, of course, is a convicted sex offender, to put it extremely lightly. Now, the bank faced criticism for a long-standing banking relationship with Epstein, even after his 2008 guilty plea in a prostitution case. Now, keep in mind, they've already paid, JP Morgan has, 290 million in settlement with Epstein's victims and announced another settlement for an unknown sum. Now, JP Morgan was accused uh, by the United States Virgin Islands 
of turning a blind eye to Epstein's content or conduct. The complaint uh, from the United States Virgin Islands says that J.P. Morgan knowingly and negligently and unlawfully provided and pulled the levers through which recruiters and victims were paid and J.P. Morgan was indispensable to the operation and concealment of the Epstein trafficking enterprise. Hold on. Knowingly, negligently, unlawfully pulled levers through which recruiters and victims were paid and indispensable to concealing his sex trafficking enterprise? Wow. Now, $75 million sounds like a lot. Really what J.P. Morgan did is paid, paid to keep this from being um, drawn out for many months and years in courts uh, because they don't want this to become public. It's better for them and their image to just go ahead and settle this. Uh, but there is so much um, evidence against them you know, in this. And so, you know, the settlement, really, they come off cheap. In fact, that $75 million settlement that you hear, $20 million of that is actually going to attorney's fees. So, but the bank did admit to lapses in its policies and procedures, okay? And those did allow Epstein to use his accounts to conduct suspicious activity. The depth of the relationship and the bank's inability or unwillingness to sever ties sooner has led to some backlash. And of course, that further cements the perception that big banks often prioritize profit over ethical considerations. Now, I get it. Some are going to argue that many big banks operate in a complex regulatory environment, blah, 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 and that mistakes, albeit regrettable, can occur. But listen, the Epstein case isn't merely an oversight. It reflects a deeper systemic issue within large financial institutions. It's a propensity to overlook glaring red flags in the pursuit of profit. When the significant resources and compliance departments of, that these banks possess, with that, these lapses raise questions about their commitment to ethical operations at all. Folks, it's vital to hold these financial institutions accountable. How? Well, we vote with our wallets. We vote with the decisions we make about how our money passes through the system. What bank you use, what credit card you use, what financial advisor you use, what custodian you use, what, finance, what fund companies that you allow your financial advisor to choose, what fund companies that you choose, what fund companies are available in your 401k. All of these things, the choices that are available to you, if all the choices that are available to you are choices that don't, that are, that are funding an agenda or allowing these sorts of things, then you've got to care about where your money is, what it's doing and what it is funding because your money is funding someone's agenda. It is funding someone's values. The only question is, whose is it? Is it yours or is it someone who hates you or hates the things that you stand for? So we choose who earns our trust with our hard-earned money by, by not just what we invest in, but what we invest through, who and what. And what are they doing with their money? How are they investing it?
So comment below, comment, uh, share your experiences and let's ensure that transparency reigns supreme and that these things don't just get pushed out another news story um, as they you know, essentially settle for pennies um, and $75 million sounds like a lot. Well, 55 after you take out attorney's fees, sounds like a lot, but it's pennies to a bank like this. So now this Epstein news comes just a few months after Jamie Dimon stirred the waters with his comments on property confiscation. So let's dissect those nuances and implications of his statement. Now, what am I talking about? Now in his annual letter to shareholders, Jamie Dimon, extremely influential CEO of JP Morgan Chase, someone who presidents and congressmen and senators call when financial problems happen, someone who's that much influence, who, who is called when, when, a, when a bank or a financial institution is suffering or going to go out of business. Just earlier this year, they had the, uh, the bank, the, the several banks that they helped take over. The government calls them. Jamie has probably has more power than, mo than most senators and, and congressmen. He may be more powerful than, powerful than, than the president of the United States. I don't know. But he said, he got into the, the subject of eminent domain. Specifically, he said, quote, governments, businesses, and non-governmental organizations, end quote. They might have to resort to invoking, quote, eminent domain, and that's to facilitate, quote, adequate investments fast enough for grid, solar, wind, and pipeline initiatives, end quote. In other words, let me translate that for you. In other words, let's seize your property in the name of climate change. Eminent domain, for those unacquainted, is the power of the government to confiscate your private property for public use, provided compensation is offered, of course. Of course, they could do things to lower the value, of course, of your property before they want to confiscate, confiscate it, pay you for it, get it for pennies on the dollar. So while this eminent domain has historically been used for infrastructure projects like roads and bridges, Diamond's assertion that it might be necessary for green energy ventures is notable. Quite. <laughs> now, considering the enormity of J.P. Morgan Chase and their influence and, and the influence they wield, the power they yield, a statement like this, you can't take it lightly. It raises concerns about the extent to which big banks might be willing to compromise individual property rights in the name of larger infrastructure or environmental goals. And you know what? It also enables them to target anything they want and, and tag it as environmental, tag it as infrastructural. You want it, you just got to put the right tag on it. Now, we've been seeing this in the news for a long time of greenwashing. Um, favors are given. You get preferential treatment from the government if you're green. So you can, anything you can tag as green, anything, you know, put a windmill on it. You know, you make it an LED building. Let's, let's call it green and then we can do what we want. So these labels, they all sound good, but they have sinister um, capabilities. And whenever you give the government more power, you can't imagine all the ways they could use it. You know, this, this comes up so much um, with, with Office of the President. 
you know, I hear people when, when, if you're a Democrat and the president's Democrat, then you love a powerful president. But the thing is, you can't give power to one president that you don't give to another president. So if you're for, if you're a Republican and you like a strong Republican president, the problem is the pendulum is eventually going to swing the other direction. And so you don't give power to individuals so much as you give power to the office that they sit in. So when you give power to a president or Congress or whoever else, you may be giving it during a time when someone you trust is in office. Now, I'd argue maybe you shouldn't be trusting anybody so much with that much power, but I digress. Problem is, eventually, when someone else sits in that seat, now they have the same power as someone you trusted. So it's a big deal. Now, I know what the ideologues are going to say. Something like, you know, as the world grapples with climate change, drastic measures, including, you know, the invocation of imminent domain for green projects, they may become essential so you don't steal my childhood. The pressing need to transition to cleaner energy sources could justify these actions and in the broader public interest. Now, why is the answer always more government control? Listen, the sanctity of property rights is a pillar of traditional American values. I don't care what you claim, keyword claim, to be fighting. The methods employed must respect individual rights and freedom. You can, you can debate the merits of climate change and if it's real and, um, you know, if there's a, a other agenda behind it, a global agenda, agenda behind it. You can, you can argue whether the, if there's anything humans can do about it at all or if this is just the, the waves of the, the earth heating and warming as, it, as we've seen for millions. You can, you can debate all those things. End of the day, it doesn't matter what conclusion you come to, what, what, what claim you claim to be fighting. Doesn't matter if you're right or wrong about climate change. The methods employed must respect individual rights and freedoms. And we shouldn't be supporting banks that say things like this, using eminent domain too liberally, especially under the influence of big banks, people who have an interest to make money off of land, who have an interest in financing these things. It's a dangerous precedent. The people that have the most incentive of making these loans and, and, and obtaining these assets, they're the ones saying the government should, see, should, should, should consider seizing assets. Where financial behemoths can push agendas that may infringe on your personal liberties should, should scare me. Now, as we navigate the challenges of this modern world, striking a balance between progress and preservation of individual rights becomes essential. It behooves us to stay informed and ensure our financial institutions do not overshow the foundational, overshadow the foundational principles upon which our society stands. Now, that's why I founded United Ethos. Every dollar, because every dollar you invest is a vote for a certain value an agenda. 
So my mission is to guide my clients in ensuring their money champions their beliefs. You know, big institutions, they have woke, they tend to have woke agendas. They, um, they get in, in bed with the government. They have special privileges. Um, they fund these things. They have these things within their institutions. They, they push these ideologies into their hiring practices, into their marketing practices upon their clients, and they give and invest in these causes. So when you invest with a firm like this, when you put your money in with them, when, they, when they're, you have a credit card with them, you have your money with them, when you're investing in these fund companies uh, or the Wall Street firms that are funding these agendas and are using their platform. It's not just, you know, funding is one thing. Donating is one thing. It's, it's, it's using these principles, these anti-free market and hateful agendas and using it to label people, dismiss people and not allow their employees to voice their own uh, uh, concerns and voice their own opinions out of fear of losing their jobs. So it's not just about funding. It's also the freedom of their employees, which they restrict. You are worried about speaking your mind if you're an employee there. So my mission is to guide folks in ensuring their money champions their beliefs, aligning their values with the principles, not just defunding these woke agendas and Wall Street and the established, not just defunding that, but also redirecting through charity, not through coercion. One of the things that, that, that makes me so mad is when people pretend like they are, um, they have some sort of virtue by what they vote for somebody else to give, or they vote to take away from somebody else. No, the only indication of your, of your virtue is what you willingly choose to give, not what is taken from you, but what you willingly choose to give of your own accord. No one mandates it. You know, no one forces you by threat of throwing you in jail if you don't pay your taxes. It's crazy. It's insane to hear people say that not wanting to pay taxes is selfish. No, not giving is selfish. Not paying taxes or paying taxes just means you don't go to jail. It doesn't make you, it doesn't mean you have any virtue if you do something in order to stay out of prison, in order to keep from being fined, in order to keep from being punished. Well, I drive the speed limit. If you didn't drive the speed limit, you'd get a ticket and eventually you'd go to jail. Doesn't make you holy. Doesn't make you virtuous to pay your taxes. It is the minimum you have to do to keep yourself out of jail. What are you talking about? So at United Ethos, I prioritize, we prioritize giving back willfully. We, 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 and that's why we have our 10% promise of we give back a percentage of our profits to uh, organizations and churches and other such organizations that align with our values. So when we're investing, we're investing in things not these agendas, but agendas that, that agree with their clients. Now, moving on. The academic world isn't far behind when it comes to these controversies. Dr. Eric Stewart, he is a Florida State professor who for nearly two decades has manipulated academic findings to further a social agenda. 
He was so disappointed that he couldn't substantiate his ideology that he just faked it. He faked data. And that's what his job is, is to collect data and analyze the data. Well, the data is used to create um, a hypothesis and then test that hypothesis and see if that hypothesis is correct. That's the way that science is done, okay? Well, he didn't have any data that supported his ideology. So what he did is he faked data. He faked studies and he based it off fake data. And he did it to lend support to woke ideologies. Academia ate it up. He's been extremely widely published. Uh, is thousands, tens of thousands of citations in academic papers. He's been used, uh, his, his reports have been used um, uh, to create policies, to create laws. So when we venture into these corridors of academia, we see, we see this criminology professor who's Dr. Eric Stewart, who's once lauded research has now suddenly come under fire. Reports suggest that it's not only manipulated, but it's years of not only negligence, but deceit. Now, the gravity of the situation surrounding Dr. Eric Stewart is immense. The revelations point to a man that for nearly two decades manipulated academic findings to further his narrative. As reported by Florida State University's decision to fire Stewart, it was grounded on his, quote, extreme negligence in his practices. And terms like incompetence and false results were associated with his almost 20 year long career. But what's more even troubling is the extent of these deceptions. The Post reports that six of Stewart's studies published in major academic journals between 2000 and 2019 have been fully retracted now. In other, in other words, taken out. Now, these things are still being quoted wildly and used for policy, but yet even academia has said, listen, this was fake. Now, it's one thing in these, in, in, in a lot of these sci so-called social sciences, there are social sciences, by the way, that really do rely on science, but a lot of these pseudosciences are just arguing and arguing and arguing, okay? Anyway, among these was a 2019 study that postulated that the history of historical lynchings had shaped white perceptions of black criminals, emphasizing that this problematic perception was particularly pronounced among conservatives. In other words, conservatives are racist. Okay, that's what they want to say. Now, you can you can argue this all you want. The point is, is they had based this on a study with data and the data wasn't real. Another controversy, 2015 studies, which implied racial undertones in sentencing, as you hear this a lot, suggesting that American population backed stricter sentences for Hispanics because of a latent fear, in other words, an unseen fear of the rising U.S. Latino demographic and their potential economic ascension. Again, uh, this was not true. Uh, he created this, right? Now, one can say, well, I still think that's true. Fair enough. I'm not going to tell you. I, I'm, what I'm telling you is the so-called proof of these things. When people say, oh, there's been numerous studies. Yeah, this is one of the guys that's created these numerous studies on systematic racism. A really well-known, highly regarded, cited criminologist who is supporting systemic racism. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. 
I'm not saying that it doesn't exist or does, or does exist. I have no, this is not my expertise. What I can tell you is that numerous studies that, 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 that have been used to back this are not real. The 2018 analysis, another one that was retracted, it insinuated that white Americans perceive black and Latino individuals as criminal threats, leading to a state-sponsored social control. Again, retracted. It was BS. And again, you hear these things quoted as, you know, well, studies show, studies show, studies show, but it's not real. The implications of this research and its manipulation become even more magnified when we consider the financial backdrop. His projects have received millions in research grants. They've been backed by heavyweight institutions. The National Institute of Mental Health, under the National Institute of, of Health umbrella, funneled over $3 million, about $3.2 million into his research. Also, National Science Foundation, Florida De Department of Juvenile Justice, National Institute of Justice, which is a subsidiary of the Department of Justice, also funded his endeavors. So we have government organizations that are fueling his endeavors. And only after it was come to light that he's been faking the data is this happening. There was plenty of evidence that this was happening. But finally, proof was, was shown, and now these things have been retracted. But you don't see it in the media. Where is this? There are voices, you know, within the community that say that despite his potential misconduct, the issue of systemic racism and its implications remains genuine and needs addressing. Fair enough. I'm not going to debate whether it, how important it is. It's going to be important in certain circles and not others. The fact is, though, we're not going to see the media come out and say, hey, all these things that we've used to base this idea on, um, a lot of them are BS. They were completely fabricated. So that's my issue with it. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a scholar of criminology, uh, but I do. But it is concerning to see these things coming out. Now, critics will point out whenever research of such substances compromise that it casts doubts over entire movements and philosophies. Sure enough, if the foundation is shaky, the entire structure becomes suspect. So the ramifications of Stewart's alleged misconduct, misconduct, stretch beyond just academic circles. His research affects policymaking, but do you think they're going to pull back any policy that was based on his studies? I doubt it. It affects societal perceptions. Do you think that him just being fired and these studies pulled are going to, can, can unravel the societal perception that's come from them? And the credibility of genuine concerns. Here's the thing. I also want to point out, it can also call into question the credibility of genuine concerns related to racial disparities. Okay. Just because certain studies have been pulled back doesn't mean that everything coming from that direction is false. Uh, there, because there are instances that are anecdotal instances of racism, anecdotal, that just means that someone's experience or someone's perception, okay? Those do exist. Now, th does that mean that, does that naturally follow that there is a systemic issue? No, it doesn't. Anecdotes do not, do not assume a rule, but anecdotes are enough cause to do studies, right? To, to pursue knowledge, okay? So academic freedom shapes the future of our nation. Now, policy has been created based on Eric's 
scams. And we still hear his findings, you know, in the, you know, parroted in the news daily. So what I would challenge us to do is rally behind those who dare to question, to challenge, and to seek the truth. So hit that subscribe button and share this with your friends, especially those in academia. Um, there's a lot of pressure in academia to not talk about these things. We see it all the time, but you can't talk about it for fear of your job. So if you are, if your primary way of making your money is academia, or you depend on that income, there is tremendous pressure to not talk about these issues. Our educational institutions need reform and it starts with us. Speaking of educational institutions, Boston University's ongo has an ongoing probe into the Center for Anti-Racist Research, and that's cast a shadow on the already extremely uh, suspect credibility of its founder, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, and the institution's integrity. The center, which proclaims its dedication to combating racism via academic research, finds itself under the scanner for various concerning allegations. At the center of this, the center of this world point of scrutiny is Dr. Kendi's controversial, now deleted tweet. Now, this has really been a while back, I think it was a year or two years ago, but I think uh, I think this this tweet really summed up a lot of the problems with what he's doing. He's starting with the end in mind and working his way backwards. So in it, in this tweet, and you can Google it, Google Dr. Kendi's deleted tweet, uh, he implied that white students could be manipulating the college admission system to advantage themselves by falsely claiming minority status. In other words, a white student on their application says, I'm black or I'm Hispanic or whatever uh, on their application. Um, so it says, hey, these are these, these white students are, are doing this to, to help them get in, get in. Well, that doesn't quite make a lot of sense. It raises a pretty perplexing contradiction. If Kendi's foundational argument is built on systemic oppression of minorities, then how can claiming to be a minority serve as an advantage? And, this, and the statistics showed that those white students who um, lied got, got in at higher rates. So how, if there is a systemic oppression of minorities, how is it that claiming to be a minority helps you get in? If racial minorities are under persistent systemic attack, how can the same racial identity be a boon for college admissions. So this glaring inconsistency does more than just question the tweet itself. It challenges the underpinnings of Kendi's entire racist, uh, anti-racist doctrine, or some may say his entire racist doctrine. Um, you know, and this also is underlined by the studies from Harvard or, or the, the, the data from Harvard. Uh, that the that the um, Supreme Court weighed in on and basically saying, you know, they can't that, that they were um, um, discriminating on Asian students and white students and the preponderance of evidence that they were doing that, uh, that in many things. And, and here's the thing. This is not to say that there's not places where their discrimination could come, but this idea of systemic racism everywhere is 
patently false. It's been proven time and time again in academia that that's not the case. It's not an advantage. In fact, it's a disadvantage as proven by Kendi's own tweet, which he deleted when he realized that it had blown up his entire life's work. So, but that doesn't mean that there's not other instances in life where there could be disadvantages. Okay. Just remember proving something to not be true in one arena does not prove it's not true in another arena. Okay. Context matters. I want that very, very clear. Context always matters. So, you know, this isn't just about an offhanded tweet though. It's about implications that it carries for his larger body of work. When a leading figure in anti-racist research showcases such a significant lapse in consistency, doubts are inevitably cast on the center's research methodologies, findings, and broader conclusions. At Boston University, as, as they delve into this probe, several alarming aspects of the Center for Anti-Racist Research have come to the forefront. Misappropriation of funds. There's been whisperings of discrepancies in the handling and use of research grants. And considering the significant funding directed towards this center from private and government um, sources, any financial ambiguity is pretty concerning. Next, questionable research practices. Concerns about the center's research methodology aren't limited to Kendi's public statements. Some insiders, people who agree with his agenda, are voicing unease regarding potential biases in, in data collection and interpretation. Well, that's everything. Data collection is everything. Interpretation is everything else. Conflict of interest is next. Dr. Kendi's expansive public presence from book deals to corporate engagements has also raised some eyebrows. He's been involved in government. He's been involved in academic institutions. He's been involved with, you know, with large companies and they've used his training in his books. Um, friend of mine working at JP Morgan, this was, uh, this was on their recommended books list and they were given um, uh, you know, for, 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 the, for the year. And they were encouraged by their managers to read this book, his book. Um, another friend of mine, AT&T, said the same thing, this and several other books like it were recommended uh, for them to read at everyone. And there's, so there's a growing sentiment that these affiliations might be influencing the center's research leading to potential conflicts of interest. Now, with these various financial institutions and major firms having integrated Kending's teachings into their operations, these revelations necessitate a reevaluation. Is it prudent to align with philosophies rooted in potential potential inconsistencies. As details of this Boston U probe continue to unfold, there's an undeniable need for heightened scrutiny. Scrutiny on the organizations that are using his ideology, not science, his ideology in their hiring practice, in their firing practices, in their um, financial practices, in their recruitment practices, major banks, major financial institutions that have taken this as gospel, heightened scrutiny should be put on these types of institutions and the, their investments. Because discerning between authentic academic in, endeavors and potential biases or oversights has never been more critical. Now, together, we can shift the narrative. If you resonate with what I've discussed today, drop a comment, share this episode, 
um, keep the conversation alive. And by all means, subscribe. Your money is always working to further somebody's values. It's always working to further someone's agenda. I'm here to keep you informed in your fight to keep your money aligned with your values. Make sure your money is fighting for you, not someone who hates you. Whether it be big, intrusive government, or big, powerful banks, or fund companies, or financial institutions, they want to keep you ignorant and docile. They want to tame you. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.